This is about humans dreaming together. About humans supporting each other on our journeys. It's about the science and the art behind making our dream lives a reality. To the students of life. The young and the curious. The dreamers and the doers. To those who crave to be a strong individual. And want to be part of something bigger than themselves. Welcome. 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 Welcome to the Dreamology Podcast. What's going on, everybody? It's your host, Tim Bishop, back with another episode of the Dreamology Podcast. Remember, we are here because in school, we didn't learn about how to make our dream lives a reality. And so here we are studying how to do that. And we are making sure that we're all making daily progress towards our dream lives. For me, it's been a little bit over 18 months since I made the conscious decision to try to make my dream life a reality. And in that process, I am trying to grow, to transform, to connect, to love, to contribute, and to really just see what the best life looks like for me. And I want to help others do the same. And these conversations are a way that I can do that. And so I'm really excited to introduce today's guest. Let's get to it. Today's guest is Val Grotrian. Val talks about her experiences deciding not to go to college, and we really talk a lot about early career development. We talk about the pressure that people feel to funnel themselves into a career path that might not be right for them. But we also talk about you know what you do um, when you don't know what you want to do, because that's the majority of people, right? We ask toddlers this question, and all the way up through college, graduation, and beyond. What do you want to be when you grow up? What do you want to be when you grow up? What do you want to do? And nobody knows the answer. And so we talk about, well, what are other things that we could talk about? Instead of putting this pressure on people and making them feel like they need to know what they want to do, instead, how do we navigate the journey? Even if you're on the right path, how do you get closer and closer to that thing? How do you improve? How do you educate yourself so you can stand out in a field that you choose? And so Val and I really talk about a lot of these things, and we end with really an important topic, which is the title of the podcast, which is all about how do we eliminate Uh, limiting beliefs. How do we get rid of them? How do we overcome them? And how do we use empowering beliefs to drive us forward into the life that we want? And so it's an interview full of a lot of gold, and I'm excited to share Val's words with you. And so without further ado, here is the episode with Val Grotrian. Val, how are you doing today? Super. Thanks so much for having me. I'm glad to be here. Awesome. Well, I think we got to start um, a couple of years back, aka graduating high school. <laughs> <laughs> and so, I mean, this was, yeah, obviously one of the first things that struck me about your story was that you made the decision to not go to college. And you said you went and worked at a five, $5.50 hour job. And I was thinking in my own world, I'm like, well, I think my dad would have killed me if I, if I told him I was doing that. So I'm curious about your decision as to why you did that and, and just kind of the thought process that was going through your head at that time. Oh my gosh. Okay. I love the question. So we're going to have to rewind just a bit. Like what led me to there? Okay, so let's do it. growing up in high school, I had a really tough time. You know, I'm, no, I'm not alone in that. I'm sure there's many listeners listening then that have been 
you know, in that place of like being bullied or being teased. And I just had such a rough time. There were days while I was a good student, I got really great grades. I just never really found my place in high school. And I never really, I was always longing to feel like wanted and to fit in. And that led me when it came time for graduation, like the last thing I could think about while anybody I knew was going off to college. And I knew that's what my parents wanted for me. Um, but I think they wanted something more for me than, you know, that in the moment. They wanted me to be happy. They saw what I'd mm. gone through. Um, so when that happened, I could not view college at that point in my life as a place where I was going to get an education. I only saw it as more of a place that would give me pain mm. and the same type of pain that I experienced in high school. And that is why I made that decision. And I sat my parents down. Normally it's the other way around, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> They're sitting us down to have a talk with us. Yeah. I was like, mom, dad, we've got to have a chat. Um, and I just said, I just can't. I've had enough. It's been really rough. High school's been challenging. I made it through it. And I just think my education, at least at this point in my life, is going to come from somewhere else. Right. And that's why I made that decision. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's one thing to, I feel like it's easy to like recognize, like I'm, I'm feeling pain with this experience. Like I don't want to go through this anymore, but to, I feel like the hard part is then actually committing to saying, I'm going to do something different than the majority of, of everybody else. Like that's, that's where it gets like, okay, I'm going to do this. And you know that, like you said, you got to sit your parents down you got to tell them there's, there's people ask questions, but it's, yeah, it's cool. You just, you went through with that and you followed your heart on that. So then, so then did you have any clue what that meant as far as, cause you're obviously looking to avoid the pain. So you're trying to find a scenario that didn't have pain, but did you have any plan of attack or at that point it was just like, I know I don't want to do this and let's go try something new or what was the next step from there? Yeah, that's a great question. <laughs> um, I didn't, have a really well thought out plan. Mm -hmm. right? I mean, I had to have something to present to my parents to say, here's why I made this decision, <laughs> right? But they knew that I was coming from that place of pain, that they just didn't want me to experience that anymore. And I got behind it with conviction. And I said, I'm not saying that college is off the table forever. I'm mm. saying that right now, college is off the table for me because I only see that as a place of pain. And I need to get out there in the real world. And so my plan, as like simple as it was, was to go to work. I just wanted to go to work. I knew how to work hard. I had a couple of high school jobs. That was a place where I felt like if I did feel any sort of belonging, I felt in community there hmm. um, in those different jobs. And, you know, I worked at an Italian restaurant as a salad girl and I was a bagger <laughs> at a grocery store and, um, people don't leave your, your shopping carts everywhere out in the parking lot. <laughs> <laughs> <Don't do that. laughs> it's one of those things you learn uh, by on the job and you're like, that is the most annoying thing. I'm, I'm never going to do it again to anybody else. <laughs> Yeah, but I just, I guess my plan was get to work and I didn't know exactly what, I mean, at one point I was, I was enrolled for, for a hot minute in continuing education. It was in a travel school and at the last minute I pulled back, I was fascinated with travel. I loved airplanes. Hmm. I just loved that whole community of travel and this opportunity to work at my really, really super duper small regional airport came up 
And, you know, maybe it was airplanes. Maybe I was fascinated with that because I, I think airplanes are cool, but maybe mm -hmm. it was because, you know, when I was going through the bullying and the teasing, I saw air, like airplanes I would, as a way to escape. I saw it as the thing that was going to transport me out of my situation and out of my mm -hmm. small town and out of those circumstances. So to me, looking at the travel industry and having a chance to work at the local airport was like a dream come true, right? It was mm -hmm. my ticket out, quite literally. Yeah, yeah literally. literally. <laughs> huh, interesting. And yeah, it's, it's, it's cool to see, like, you know, again, as I reflect and I just graduated um, about a year ago. So it's like, I always think about, you know, your friends and people at school get into heated conversations just about university and going to college in general. And, and now there's just a clear, you know, like some people love it. Some people don't, it's good for people, but there is this general notion of like the societal pressure to say, you kind of should go to college and this is how you should figure things out. And, and I mean, you're obviously a prime example of not needing to do that, right? And not needing to like take the traditional path. And I mean, there's a bunch of pros, but also a bunch of consequences we've seen, like the student loan crisis and people graduating, still not knowing what the hell they want to do. And then entering your mind sort of like, well, I'm just going to go work. But after they're like $100,000 in debt. So there's clear like, you know, parts of the system that I find to be intriguing. But I want you to just touch on you know, the, the pressure aspect of this, like, did you ever feel, cause I, I feel like there, at least from my experience, there was a lot of pressure to have your life figured out at a very young age. Did you ever feel that pressure? Um, and if so, like in what form did you feel that when you said, I'm not going to go to school and then, you know, would you just get let free and nobody thought about like thought about it or like, I mean, I have to imagine whether it was you placing on yourself or exteriorly, there would have been some pressure involved to say, okay, like Val, like, let's go. Like, let's, let's, you know, let's figure it out. Like, what'd you experience with that? Yeah. Um, so this pressure I think is one that so many people face particularly. So we're talking about when I was in faced with this, this decision point, hmm. uh, it was in the late nineties. It was 1999. So okay. we're talking, right. It was 21 years ago. Yeah. And then if you can imagine what it was like 21 years ago compared to now, it was even more so like, the the thought of the way that you would achieve success the only way you could do that is through college education right mm, right and especially you think of the previous generations like our parents right my parents at that time were coming out of where maybe they couldn't go to college it was not as readily available as it would have been for my generation so even more pressure to say this is your path to go like we want you to go there's this like stand behind our name make us proud right yeah yeah so yeah that feeling certainly like i never wanted my parents to feel disappointed in me i didn't want my grandparents to feel disappointed in me um i wanted them to see that hey i came out of that generation and came into this place of yeah i went and did it so it was a lot of pressure then i don't mm. i can't relate i'd love to hear your thoughts on how much pressure you think it is now but there was a ton of pressure then and I can't say that it was all external. My, my parents never said, you have to do this. Right. Um, but I felt this, um, I felt this familial responsibility, right. To, to carry on this legacy in that way. Yeah. And so it's hard. Yeah. Um, I also think this happens. What's the question we ask toddlers? Like I did this a, a year ago. I asked my neighbor toddler, what do you want to be when you grow up? Why do we ask toddlers what they want to be when they grow up? <laughs> it's a stupid question. Yeah. Like, very few people know what they want to be when they grow up. And, like, 
you don't have to know. The thing is, is that you can be a lot of things. You can do a lot of things. I have now, right, I know we'll talk more about this later, but I've worked in six different industries. You know, I've, I've had that six different transitions and 11 mm. promotions. And I've gone from this $5.50 an hour de-icing airplanes to making six figures successfully and bootstrapping my way there to do it. But it wasn't because I knew what I wanted to be when I grew up. Who yeah. knows that? You don't yeah. need to know that. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's really interesting that you bring that up because that's exactly what I was going to say when you said, I'm, I'm curious your thoughts on, on the pressures that you felt. And to your point, like there was nobody who was telling me you have to, like that wasn't the direct words. Like you need to figure this out right now. But it's in the common language. It's the, what do you do? And, and what do you want to do? And what are you going to major in? And like that is, and I think a part of that, like this is not bashing on people. I think a part of that is just to be able to connect with people on things. It's a simple question. It's less complicated than why do you do what you do? Or what are your emotions? Or what, you know, what, like, you know, it's, it's something that is easy to grasp. Like, what do you do? Oh, I'm an accountant. Okay, cool. Like it's, it's very it's it, it's more palatable, I feel like. So I don't want to say people are doing something wrong here, but I think having that be the general, like the, the general theme of the question we're being asked, that's what then, like when you don't have an answer to the question, you're like, okay, well, I guess I got to really figure out quickly what I want to do. And that's, I think, what creates like this pressure. So it's super interesting that you bring that up because that's exactly how I felt it, it's happening still. And that's a really great point. The way that you say that it's an unintended consequence of the way that the question is asked and it's done right. out of the desire of the person asking it and not necessarily for the benefit of the person they're asking the question to. And I, I call that a safe question, right? Mm -hmm. It's one that keeps us safe. It's one that keeps us surface. It's one that necessarily you're right. Like it's, a, it's easier than having to go deep <laughs> deeper with somebody, you yeah. know, about, what, what, what excites you about that? Or what motivates you about that? Like now we're getting, we're starting to get down to the iceberg. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. Safety. It's safe, safe question. Yeah. And that's, I mean, again, I was want to talk about this too, because that's what I, you know, I, and I actually funny enough just this morning. So it's good timing that I watched this, but I was listening to Tom Bailu speak the, the yes theory guy. And, and he was speaking to high school seniors and he was, literally saying something along the same lines of like, don't figure it out. He was saying, I want you to do the complete opposite of everyone's telling you to do. I want you to go on that gap year. I want you to go try this thing. I want you to go because like, that's how you're going to eventually actually find your thing. If you funnel yourself too early, then you're going to be put in a spot where like that might not be actually where you're supposed to be. And, and that was like one of my first episodes I ever released was about the five, my five lessons from college. And that was like one of them. I was like, don't funnel yourself too early and and that's where i get worried about the pressure to have things figured out because i wonder if that's leading kids again to making decisions but not the right decisions for themselves and taking the speed rather than the finding the actual truth within that so this topic for me is just extremely fascinating yeah it is for me too just having lived it right and having an opportunity to reflect on it with you is really powerful um by the way i saw tom speak live uh, a couple weeks ago at a conference in Nashville and he was incredible. No way. Yeah, way. He was great. Was Who really like great. what was it what were you down there for? Um I was at Funnel Hacking Live. 
in Nashville. It's a, um, online marketing conference for okay. entrepreneurs that utilize the software ClickFunnels and build their somewhat kind of like websites through it. Yeah. They hold it every year. It's awesome. Well, that's pretty sweet. For listeners yeah. who don't know, Tom Bailu is like the founder of Yes Theory and is like a multi-millionaire, super awesome speaker, dude. Check him out. He's, he's a cool guy. <laughs> Very cool. Um, <laughs> you get cool. thumbs up from us. Yeah, yeah. He gets a thumbs up. He gets a thumbs up. Um, sweet. Well, let's jump back into the, the career evolution. Um, after the going to the airport, working uh, close to the planes that could take you far away, uh, and I know then you eventually, like you said, you bootstrapped your way up to a six-figure job. And I just want to hear about that evolution a bit. Some of the, the transitions and some of the kind of the pains and the successes through that as you, as you kind of built your career to uh, something that society probably would say is a very successful career. Yeah. Okay. So uh, I suppose people might want me to say that, oh, I made this decision and it was super easy and the rest of the path was just a straight shot up and it was a piece of cake and now I live happily ever after. <laughs> uh, but that would not be a really good movie, would it? <laughs> no, it wouldn't be a good movie. No, no. so it wasn't like that. Um, on the outside, it might have appeared that way. Um, so here I went from de-icing airplanes and marshalling them in and realizing gosh, $5.50 an hour is not going to cut it. Um, I had this deep desire, right? I wanted to achieve career success. And for me, that meant two things. And this is just one thing to note when it comes to career success for you, like what does, what defines it for you? And for me, it was, Hey, I had a meager upbringing. You know, I didn't know it at the time, but like my you know, my dad had lost his job at one point. We were mm. well, we lived on a well water and it, it dried up. We were living off the vegetables that my mom grew in the garden. Like I didn't know those things when I was a young, young kid. Right. I didn't find that out as a teenager. But when I found that out and realized like, wow, we didn't just have these unlimited resources of our dispense at any point. And so many people don't, right? Right. <laughs> sure. yeah. you know, um, but I knew that I wanted to have financial stability. So for me, career success meant financial stability, um, but it also meant belonging, right? I was looking for mm. that. I wanted to belong. I wanted to fit in. I wanted to feel a place where I was valued because I didn't always feel that in high school. Um, so yeah, I go from you know loving my job at the airport, having a good old time, getting <laughs> all the de-icing fluid in my hair, and <laughs> making my $5.50 working triple shifts at the airport. And I'm like, there's got to be something more to life. After a year and a half, I'm like, there's got to be something more. And I didn't know what that was. Again, back to your question, like, did I have a plan? My plan was to achieve those two things. How I was going to get there wasn't exactly that strategic. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, at 19, how strategic do you get about those things? I, don't, I just, I didn't. Right. Um, so I was, you know, feeling kind of miserable. What am I going to do next? So I, I, I went to my dad who, right from this meager upbringing, had turned that around right? After the job loss and the well drying and the eating off the vegetables, he figured career success out. And I asked him, so I'm like, dad, like you've had this success, like, cause I had heard some speaker at some point, listening to podcasts and things like that. Like, um, well, podcasts weren't that big back then, but we did have a lot of different self-developmental opportunities through the internet that was just up and coming. But <laughs> 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 listen to those online. And, um, I remember somebody saying like, if you want, um, if you want to be successful, model success. If you want to model success, you got to find people who've done it. 
okay, that seemed logical. So that's why I went to my dad. <laughs> that was the example I had, right? Yeah. So my dad said, um, you're not sure what you're going to do next. Um, that's okay. Like we're here, we stand behind you. Here's the one question I would have for you. What um, one thing do you enjoy more than any other thing in your airport job right now? And I want you to go do that. And I want you to do that as best as you possibly can. Okay. So I thought about that and it was the thing that lit me up. Well, yeah, I mean, it is exciting to marshal an airplane in, right? There's nothing <laughs> cooler than seeing that yeah. machine coming at it in. <laughs> Feeling like you have this control to tell it to like turn left or turn right. And then they intentionally go the other way just to mess with you. That's really fun. <laughs> uh, like, yes, that was the fun part of my job. And I love that. But the thing that lit me up, the thing that gave me energy was when a new person would start, I would involuntarily go take them under my wing and start training them and teaching them. Hmm. Mm -hmm. So that was the thing that then my boss took notice after a few months of that, um, he took notice and he's like, you're really, really exceptional at this and you should go work in our corporate training department and let me connect with you with them. And that is what started. Like I literally got on the jet plane, went to Charlotte, North Carolina from Pennsylvania and my career from there took on the fast forward version of it was, you know, hiccups here, learning here. I went into the training department. I did all sorts of flying around. I then got promoted uh, and moved to Chicago. And I was, um, the, I was one of the youngest managers, I think, ever. I led a team of 14 trainers at the age of 24 across four facil training facilities in the country for uh, a small regional carrier for United. And I, then I had my leadership pickups, right? Where I had to learn about well, what's it like to be a people manager right? yeah. and how do I do that? And why do I care about that? And then that led into, gosh, I, I want to learn how to run a business. And so I went into store management and district management. So I guess the, the, the thing I would say is that it was filled with a lot of hiccups and a lot of learnings, but here's where my education came in. At those points, when I needed to know something, I went and learned everything I could about it. So when it came to now I'm leading a team, I, I, I'm going to go figure out how to be the best I can possibly be as a leader. And so I, I became certified in um, the psychology of leadership and I got a certification through that. I went and got certified as a coach because I heard somewhere that the best leaders are the best coaches. So I got that certification. Um, when I was in the training department, I, I knew that we were advanced, doing some advanced things in the adult learning world. So I went and learned how to all, all about accelerated learning behaviors. So my mm -hmm. education came, but it yeah. came in more intentional ways with what I needed to apply at that time and what I needed to know at that time versus learning, I don't know, the mathematical equations that I didn't need in my job. Some people need that. Yeah. <laughs> but I yeah. didn't. Right. Yeah. You, I mean, that's a really interesting point because, again, not to say one is right or one is wrong, but just thinking about ways that you can learn and how you can go about it. It's like, you know, you decided not to get the go to college. And for me, like I because I studied marketing. So I always feel like, OK, I had marketing, I had this base degree. And now that I'm, you know, applying things, I'm realizing, OK, that was like a base level of knowledge. But my learning is really coming in by saying, all right. I need to learn something very like about this and let's go learn about that. And then that helps you. And then I learn about this and that helps you. So it's almost like you decided to not just get this general knowledge. And because for the reason you talked about, but the learning came in when you started doing the thing you wanted to do. And then you understood like, okay, I have to learn this and now I'm going to go learn this. And it was more 
learning out of uh, almost a passion, it seems like, or a requirement to do your job better than, than just learning for learning's sake. So that's, it's interesting. I, I, I'm not going to say one's better or worse. I don't know, but it's, it's cool to see the different, the different route that you kind of took with that, that life being a life learner um, instead of obviously doing the traditional route. I was thinking, as you say that, a few things come up for me. So one of the things that I pursued that I became really fascinated with later in my career was the Clifton Strengths Finder assessment. Right. And it has this theory of development that is all about focus on what you're great at and manage around what's weak. So on my assessment, um, it it basically gives you 34 strengths or talents, I should say, that ranks them in order of what you have innately wired within you. Hmm. One of the talents is called learner. And learner ranks really, really low for me. And most people would look at that and say, does that mean you're not a learner? No, we all learn. But I don't learn for the sake of learning. I don't just want to learn. My husband actually has a learner really high. It's within his top five strengths finder. So for me, I learn, but I don't learn for the sake of learning. I learn what I need to learn when I need to learn it for my success. (laughs) Yeah. So I don't think, I think you're right in saying like, you can't judge right or wrong. It's how I'm wired, right? We're all wired differently. That particular, I just think it's fascinating that that particular observation that you had and how it relates back to my work as a Clifton Strengths coach, it all aligns with Mm. how I showed up in my life. You know, where somebody are high, oh my gosh, my husband sits down and he wants to learn everything about everything all the time because it's so thrilling for him. And I'm like, I don't know how to do that. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know how to do that. (laughs) Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. And I, I mean, going back to when you first started talking to, I found it super fascinating. Like, even though you didn't know exactly again, what you wanted to do, there was, and we'll get to this too, that your why obviously evolved, but you know, your original why was pretty strong. It was like, I want to belong. That seems like a pretty core human desire. Like I want to belong in a community. I haven't really felt that in some ways I have, but not in in a consistent, strong way. And then I want some stability. And both of those were rooted out of your childhood experiences. So it's interesting to see how you were aware of that at a pretty young age and how that became a pretty strong, obviously, motivator for your actions. And then it seems like, and this is actually, we can jump into this now, but it seems like we all have some motivators that are from our childhood that at some point those evolve, those evolve into something bigger into to something that's more future looking. And, and you said that eventually we made the decision to leave your corporate world and to follow kind of a new mission that, uh, you know, your why really evolved. Um, can you talk to me about when you decided, like started to realize that what you're, the work you're doing and, and the mission you had weren't aligning and you're ready to sort of make a leap and start something on your own? Mm. Yeah, this is a deep journey because it came to me through coaching. Um, when I, I became certified as a coach, it actually came some time ago where my, once I had I, my basic needs met of belonging and the security and feeling safe, right? Those are basic needs right. that I didn't always feel in high school. When those were met, I then right progressed up that whole Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Yeah. And then you get into that self-actualization part where you realize, whoa, I've, my basic needs are met now. I've come past this. I'm not going to play victim to these circumstances. I'm not going to let those circumstances define the path of my life. I had to go through, um, through my career. There was a lot of anxiety that came up. There was social anxiety that came up. There was an incident that happened. Um, just in the, I'm 38 now. I don't know if I shared that with you, but 
in my like early, uh, 24, 25, 26 time frame, I'd had an incident happen through a group coaching experience that made me aware of another event that had happened when I was even younger that mm. taught me about some stories that I was telling myself. And the story I was telling myself was that I wasn't good enough. And then the things that had happened, and that happened because of what a teacher had said to me that she should not have been teaching. She was old and should have been retired long before <laughs> I ever got into the third grade with her. But she, you know, she, she chastised me in front of the whole, whole school for not folding my piece of paper correctly and told me that I would never be creative. And then my definition of creativity was shaped out of that. And I never realized that until my mid-20s. So I went through these, I know, moments of angst yeah. in the story I would tell myself. So I had to go through this journey of there was a balance of some therapy. There was some coaching. I think everybody needs a great therapist and a great coach. At some point in your life, you're going to need and you're going to want both. And it's going to be so valuable <laughs> to have that. But I had to really reassess my self-talk. And I had to realize what, so that journey through, that's why I say like there were bumps, right? I was having career success mm. on the outside and internally what was happening was, wow, this success is coming. I'm now a very young people manager. I'm learning so many things. I also have like the stories of my distant past are not that distant in my mind from what I'm telling myself. Mm -hmm. And now I don't have a degree. I feel all the more like vulnerable in a mm. way that I feel not worthy or not valuable. So having to come to that, like, working through that comes to this place of when I, I have worked through those things. And hmm. I always, I have processes now to monitor my self-talk and I have a system that I monitor my self-talk, but it was those things that allowed me to continue up Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Right. And to say hmm. that, Hey, my life is a gift and it has been given to me and I don't, I can choose to be a victim to the circumstances or I can choose to take those very things that were so hard and so painful and use them for the good of others and to help others. And that's why I'd say people like people need our stories, whatever they are, they're all yeah. unique. They're all different and the world needs them. Yeah. And so that's when this new desire came up in me, right. To become an entrepreneur. And in 2017, I left the corporate world and I have my own coaching business and I have for a couple of years, but that, it was that journey that led me into that actualization of, service mm. to others yeah it's it's interesting the more i talk to people and the more that i hear people speak on this and that and youtube and podcasts and the internet that is no longer a new thing but still has great information uh it's so like so many people seem to find their purpose through a struggle they went through like it's almost it's almost baffling to me like and that's why the the what do you want to do when you grow up question when you're young is just almost impossible to answer unless you've gone through something very serious at a young age. And you're like, I know I want to get back to this cause because it seriously seems like everyone's purpose evolves once they go through hardships. And, and like you went through this anxiety, this feeling of not feeling like you were enough, this feeling of, I don't have a college education. Who am I to understanding that all those things were just stories you were telling themselves. And then you were like, I got to help somebody else through this. And so that just keeps coming up. So I wanted to emphasize that I noticed that in your story too, where it's like, that's, that's just something to be mindful of. I feel like when you're going through a struggle that this could serve you in a huge way in the future. So 
Yeah. It's interesting. It's very interesting. Um, can you talk to me a little bit more like in, in depth? I want to get a little vulnerable here for a second. Like, I mean, you know, we say the words like I felt anxiety and, and I didn't feel like I was enough, but can you give me a little bit more? It's like the day to day, like, what did that really feel like? Like, like what was, what was some of those emotions you were just feeling in that core thick of it that were really tough to go through? Oh my gosh. Yeah, there were many. And depending upon the phase that I was in, if the self-talk was really negative for a particular day or a span, a, a week of time, um, it could be the pressure, the self-inflicted pressure that I would put on myself before going into a meeting with a, a group of leaders in my company, right? It could be, oh, I've got, I've got to go through this presentation and share some information in front of them. I mean, at one point, one of the highest anxiety moments of my career was when I was hand selected, get this, hand selected. This is so funny to me. I'm going to say it out loud. I was hand selected to lead a team of um, uh, undergrad and graduate um, interns and full-time, new full-time employees that had converted from interns into full-time. They were undergrads and graduates specifically. And I was the lead of that group in the company to make sure that their experience and onboarding was great and that I would put together a whole program for them to progress through for six months of, of indoctrination into the organization. I mean, that moment of like, who am I? I'm the only person in this group of 100 plus people that doesn't have a degree. And I'm the one that's selected to lead. Like that moment for me was incredibly, at some points, debilitating. Like, I would come home and I'd, um, breathing would be hard. Like my heart rate would be really high. Um, thinking about the anxiety that I would put on myself to go into those moments and meet with different groups of people feeling so completely inadequate, right? Mm -hmm. Those moments were um, very hard, very, yeah. very hard. And I did not know if I would come through those, right? I did. I fought through this, but fight or flight would kick in. And I've had those moments of, oh, do I run out of the room right now? Do I just escape? Do I, do I just get out of here? Right? Yeah. Like, I felt like the wall was just closing in on me and I just did not feel worthy to come. Like, this is different than um, the anxiety that somebody would experience from public speaking. I mean, I don't know what the percentage is. Like 75% of people are terrified of public speaking and they're just as scared of that as they are dying. Like, I, that's, I get that, but this is not just a fear of, of that. This is a fear of like living, right? I don't know. Like how to explain it. It's like, you just don't even feel worthy to be mm -hmm. there. So there was just this worth. And I realized all these childhood things had come up, right? That yeah. I didn't necessarily deal with at that moment. I'd made the decision to not go to college, right? At that moment, I was like, escape, go work go do good and prove your bullies wrong. Right? Yeah, right. I don't think, I think those external things are okay. I think that's normal for us humans to feel. The internal need though needed to be met and that belonging. And until that was dealt with, this feeling of insecurity and a lack of confidence and a lack of worth is going to continue to show its ugly head over and over again. Hmm. Right. So then what was the... I mean, did you just literally fight through those moments until you did feel adequate or what, like, what was the, you know, what was the turning point? I mean, I, I think, is it Mark Twain who said that says what courage isn't fearlessness. It's acting despite fear being present or something like that. Or, but like, what was, 
you know, did you just say, I'm just not going to quit? Or what was the thing yeah. that pushed forward, pushed you forward? Yeah, this is sheer, um, like, resilience. This is, I know, fundamentally, I knew just from the training that I'd had, from the therapy that I'd had, from being exposed to other people's stories, I knew that there's beauty on the other side of ashes. I knew that. And I knew that I just had this fundamental belief that there is, I have, um, for those listening that have gone through Clifton Strengths Finder and you know what connectedness is, that, that term of connectedness is high for me and connectedness basically t- like for me, I see that there's a connection in all the things that we go through. And so I knew, Hey, there's a reason I'm going through this and I'm going to use it for good for something later. So yeah. I just really came to this place of this sucks. I can feel this. I can hate how it feels, but it doesn't mean that I can't just keep moving forward. Back to mm-hmm. your Mark statement, right? I, I decided that in this moment, I have a choice. The choice mm-hmm. is mine and nobody else's. I get to choose if I'm going to continue moving forward or if I will just stay here. So I went through this internal dialogue of if I stay here, what are the consequences? what will I gain? What will I lose? And I did the same thing if I chose to move forward. And I realized the fight is so worth it. The fight is so worth it. Whatever that means for me, whether it means therapy, whether it means, (laughs) I don't know what it means, right? It's different for everybody. But I decided in that moment through that process that it might hurt and be painful to push through it and move forward and dig deeper and dig deeper and find ways but it will hurt worse if I do nothing and stay debilitated by it. It will be way worse. The consequences will be way worse Hmm. because my struggle is intended to help somebody else. Yeah. It's, it's, I'm amazed you had that mindset because that's seems like such a great mindset to have in that scenario or in any scenario wouldn't, you know, I mean, a lot of my friends right are now starting their first jobs and, you get a whole different, you get a whole array of answers, but you know, one of the answers that pains you to hear a bit is when someone just kind of is like, yeah, well, I don't really like it, but you know, there just doesn't, there, there isn't a lot of like, again, you had that somehow had that perspective to say, this is going to take me somewhere. And I, I just think that humans want something to look forward to and we want a way to be able to progress. And like, what a great way to be able to progress by just saying, you know what, I'm doing this and might not be perfect and I might feel this, I might feel that, but like, let's just, let's just keep that forward, you know, that, that long-term vision and play here still and just keep touching on, on that because that allowed you to fight through it and to understand that there was something better there. There was, and you weren't just suffering to just for suffering's sake. So that's, that's really cool. And then that, that leads me to your, your, I saw this on your LinkedIn page, which was (laughs) like, what gets you out of the bed in the morning is that only 15% of employees are engaged in their career. Uh, Why, why was it this? Why was it this stat that became a mission for you? Yeah. Some of it, well, I became exposed to the statistic through much of the work that I did in the last 10 years of my corporate career, where I'd worked in various roles in uh, people leadership and human resources where I was supporting business unit leaders to drive really awesome results. Like that was a big part of my job. And so one of the things that we did was work really closely with a Gallup organization who is uh, measures, measures engagement, measures these things. They're actually the one that developed the Clifton Strengths Finders assessment. Um, but through the work with them, I became really aware of the deep connection that people 
have in their jobs to their own uh, happiness and satisfaction outside of work and that we're a whole person. We're not like, we're not robots, right? We don't like come to work and say, I'm going to leave everything that's happened at home at home. And now I'm going to go to work. And I'm like two different people, right? We're, we're a whole person. And these all collectively, um, you know, support our, our level of engagement in life, but our engagement at work and the level of satisfaction that we have at work is going to contribute to, um, if we're able to be better parents, better spouses, better friends, right? If we're able beyond that point to then get to the point where how do I serve the world, right? So my mission became about how do I help others serve the world more meaningfully, right? Mm -hmm. How do I help others to create the conditions for their own success so that not like it doesn't stop there. It's not self-serving. It's not just for their success, but so that they can impact the world in greater ways. And that's why that's why that statistic of engagement gets me up because it leads mm. to greater world impact for others. Hmm. Right. And I noticed that one of the ways that you said that you do that is that you like to, and powerful here, powerful word, uh, excuse me, is shatter false beliefs. Uh, what do you mean by this? And, and how do you, how do you do this with people? What is, how do you go about shattering someone's false belief? Yeah. that people are pretty stubborn on what they, on what they believe in and what they don't believe in. Totally. Hey, if what they're believing in is good and serving them well, by all means, keep that belief if it's serving you. If that belief is not serving you, that's a false belief. So the belief that I had that I wasn't creative because a third grade teacher told me that because I couldn't fold a silly piece of paper correctly that I wasn't creative is a false belief. That's not right. fact, right? But the story that that led to in my mid twenties, when a, when a, when a senior vice president of an organization came to me and said, I need you for this new job. You are the, you are the person I want in this role. It's going to require the level of creativity that you'll bring to it. I went home and had a panic attack because he said, I, the level of creativity that I would personally bring to it. I, I said, he doesn't know me. Clearly, I'm not creative. Like, what is he thinking? Yeah. <laughs> I'm not creative. Doesn't he know? My third grade teacher will tell him. <laughs> <Okay>? <laughs> so it was that moment when it all came I knew that that belief had to be shattered. It had to be shattered. If I continued to hold that false belief, it was going to hold me back in everything. Because mm -hmm. the reality is I am creative. I might not like to sit down and do arts and crafts, but that does not mean creative. right? Yeah. I might not like to decorate my office, which is why I have this lovely thing I showed you, my backdrop. <laughs> right? like, because that's not where my creativity shines. My creativity comes from, it comes from this other place. Right? Yeah, and it's the way that I'm innately wired, and so the way that I help people do that, it's uh, the process that worked for me. It was it was uncovering my unique wiring. It was understanding that I am uniquely made to bring mm. good to the world, and I'm the only one that can do it in the way that I can do it. And it became a mission of realizing, wow, I am like that's what's extraordinary. Right, yeah. it's that we all have the potential to do that. It's realized yeah. me, the Clifton Strengths realized here's who I am, here's how I'm wired. This is what I uniquely bring. I mean, the chances of anybody else having the same top five talents in the same order as me is one in 33 million. <laughs> right? Like, this is you're that unique. Yeah, so it's that's how I help people do it. It's realizing if you realize there was a purpose, you were uniquely created with these talents, and that you can. You can solve big problems in the world with those talents 
and that that you have a purpose to do that you can you can then shatter a lot of false beliefs when you start to see that yeah yeah wow that's that's a great stat one in 33 million is the odds of having the the same top five strengths in the same order uh it adds to the emphasis on the uniqueness of of each individual human being and i also think it's interesting i've been and i there's probably a million terms for this but i've been reading about like global beliefs as is the word i heard but basically the beliefs that are like i am this or people are this or the world is this and how those become so ingrained in your brain but like they can be rooted on like one experience like you mentioned your experience was something so small and you could get an idea of humanity based off of such a small or yourself of such a small experience and that can totally guide you which is scary but the exciting thing that you mentioned is that you can catch those and you can simply reframe them into empowering beliefs and then keep going forward so it's yeah it it just shows the strength of a small belief to to like you said have a belief that doesn't serve you for many many years so the self-reflection so let's yeah let's bring up this, this point then like what what are some really key ways people can do right now who are listening to start to do some self-reflection on themselves to try to identify values or strengths or beliefs they might have? Like, how do you start this process when you're hearing this and saying, okay, well, without like having to hire a life coach right now, what are some good self-reflection things I can start to do that might help uncover some of the stuff on my own? Yeah, for sure. There's a lot of things you can do. Um, I'm actually working together to put together some free resources that will help people do that too. So they're in that place of like, just they want to go through that reflection journey. Yeah. Um, So I can certainly get that too so you can share it with your audience in the future. For now, here's one of my favorite activities. Um, It's it's monitor your self-talk for a week. For one week, make a commitment Mm. to yourself that you're going to, at the end of every day, you're going to do a personal commitment of reflection for five minutes and you're going to monitor your thoughts on anything that came out that particularly made you feel good and any thought that came out that made you feel bad. Because there's a lot of science and research that shows us that our connectivity of what we think in our mind is connected to our hearts. And our hearts are connected to every single membrane, organ, nerve, blood cell in our body. And so it all starts with our mind. Whatever happens up here in our brains then gets put out into the world. So we have to first come to terms with what's happening up here in my mind. Hmm. So exercise one is you've got to reflect on what's happening up there. (laughs) If you're not making time to figure that out, then you're not going to have awareness. Like it was me. I became aware because I was intentional to become aware. Hmm. It's not just going to smack Deb Hitchie in the head one day. Right. 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 Think about it. So that's one thing you can do. The other thing that you can do is, um, uh, you could go to the uh, Gallup Clifton Strengths and pay a small fee to take that Strengths Finder assessment. You can right. do that. Um, that you can get your top five, or you can see your full thirty-four um, for a different charge. So those are some of the quicker things that you can do. But yeah. getting control of your mind is one of the first. I like. I've never heard of that first one. I I like that. The like just seeing looking at your thoughts and like writing them down and, and then reading them and just from like an objective point being like, well, that, that doesn't make sense. Or this is good. This is good. Like keep thinking these, I've never thought about, you know, doing that for a full week. That's, I like that. That's cool. 
bring yeah. something. Well, here's like, the funny thing. If you see Tim after a day, if you look at it, it takes like, I don't know, you might know the stat. I forget who wrote this, but it was like, it takes seven positive to override one negative. That's the yeah. same thing to our minds and what we think. So if you look at your thoughts and you see, you see six negative and one positive, you've got a problem. (laughs) I mean, you've got something that you need to address in your thought patterns that will not allow you to shatter false beliefs later or that will keep you Hmm. held back in anxiety or fear or whatever it might be. Right. It's interesting too, thinking about that ratio, like, cause I'd be interested to do that myself and write down and see like, Oh, actually you had a lot of positive thoughts throughout the day, which I, I do, I, I think I do <laughs> seem to enjoy. I seem to enjoy most days, but at the same time, you know, you're like, well, why did Wednesday suck? And you could be like, well, that one thought overtook the six positive thoughts that I had. And all of a sudden I let that thought win the day. And uh, so that would be interesting just to see like the relationship between those two. Yeah. And is there, do you, do you see any themes? For me, I found this theme of that story. I mean, I told you one brief story about creativity and then how that then led, that was third grade. And then that led into some things that happened in my teenage years to then in my career, like this, there was one theme for me that would come up from monitoring my self thoughts. And it was all what I I was telling myself who I was based off of what somebody else said, but that it was all around creativity too, Mm. you know, and that just limited me in every other area of my life. And it became a thing that just yeah so identify the themes because then you know what to take to a coach too right you know where to start like there's a theme here that I want to work through and that can be a, a really great starting place to enter into a partnership with a coach yeah yeah cool well I I want to ask uh, one last question here before we get into kind of our closing but you know the theme of engagement you know you saying that only 15% of employees feel engaged in their work and that's something that really drives you so i'm curious like for people listening what are some just top reasons that from your research or your work that you found that people aren't engaged with their work and like is there things that people can start to do you know again like now like instead of saying i'm going to just quit my job and go find something new is there is there is there any like advice that you give to people to say that is simple mindset shifts or simple habits or simple routines that helps with the engagement like right you might you still might not love what you're doing but is there things that kind of help with that engagement as far as like more on the habit routine mindset sort of sort of lens yeah definitely Definitely. And the research is clear. There is a few things that will impact engagement. One of the biggest contributors is something that is not always directly in your control, and that is your direct boss, right? Mm. So if you are stuck with a real tool of a boss right now, and you're having a real hard time with that, like I always tell people if they're in career transition, I work with a lot of folks that are in career transition because they've already made that decision, but I always tell them, pick your next boss right? Because your next best boss is going to be the person that's going to help rework your tasks around your strengths, you know, in the, in the best possible way, like find your next boss, the one that can grow and develop you. I've been fortunate to have some incredible mentors in my bosses throughout the years. Um, So that's one thing if you're in transition, but if you're in a situation where you're, you're, you're not happy um, and it's because of that reason, there are many things that are within your control. So it's really getting a hold of, Hey, what's in my control and what's not here, right? What is, what is in your control is what you choose to be a victim to and what you choose not to. What is in your control is 
how you choose to live out the moments of your time. So rewind back to the story I shared with you about one of my dad and saying, gosh, I'm just not happy. Like I'm so sick of going home with glycol in my hair. And I mean, oh, it's like snow and sleet and rain and lifting hundred pound bags. I'm just like over this. I'm so over this and angry passengers yelling at me all day long. My dad told me, what's one thing you like? There's gotta be one thing that you like in that job because you chose it for a reason, right? Yeah. That's the other thing. You chose to be in the job that you're in, right? If you're in a situation where you didn't choose to be in, then work to turn that around so you're now choosing what you're going to do next, right? If you're in something you're completely happy at, maybe it is time to leave. But if you're in something you chose because you love it, there's got to be some tasks that you love. So find what you do love. Um, also, I also think like we got to give our leaders and our people managers a little bit of grace too. They're humans, right? They don't, most people, like how many people, if I were to ask, like how many of you are going to raise your hands? Like, did you go to work today and show up and want to do a bad job? How many people want to suck at work every day? <laughs> how many people are going to raise their hand to that? It's the same thing with your boss. Your boss does not want to be a sucky leader, right? So yeah. one of the things you can do for the most part, right? Nine out of 10 times. Um, and you've always got one egg, <laughs> yeah. but have a conversation with your boss right? Say, Hey, I'd love to have a conversation with you about what's working and what's not working. Just open the door for that communication. You control that communication too. That's just as much your responsibility as it is, as it is your boss's. So I don't know, give it grace, love, find what you do, love, do more of that. That's the good stuff that lights you up. You know, the things that you, the tasks of your job that you don't like, or that are draining you, like I always say, you got to manage your energy, not your time like find the things that you're, you're feeling a lot of energy around. Um, you can't always just do all of those things all day long. That would be amazing. There's some things that are going to suck our energy that we got to do, but find the times of the day when you're going to be most fulfilled by doing those tasks that maybe are going to drain you. Like if I look at my calendar, I see all the next five things up are all draining tasks or draining things. We've got a problem. I've got to rework something on my calendar. Hmm. So think about that too. What brings you energy and what sucks it. Yeah. All right, Dream Chasers, thanks for tuning in to another episode of the show. I got a lot of value out of listening to Val talk, and I found it to be a very educational conversation, really around some practical things on how to navigate life and just about the things that a lot of us are going through on a day-to-day basis. And so the call to action would be do that exercise that she said about how to eliminate limiting beliefs. And if you remember what it was, the three steps were one, monitor your self-talk for one week. And that looks like at the end of every day, do a personal reflection for five days where you write down all the things that made you feel good and all the things that make you feel bad, right? The first step with eliminating limiting beliefs is understanding that we have to come to terms with what's happening in our mind. And once we can identify the ones that are not serving us, we can replace them with empowering beliefs. And so this is the call to action from the episode. Another thing she said that you can do is find your cl- or take the Clifton Strength Finders test. Because as she said, the chances of someone having this top five same strengths as you in the same order is one in 33 million. And so if you get a good idea of what those strengths are and how you can use them to serve the world, you're going to become a lot closer to your purpose and your calling in life. So thanks for tuning in to another episode of the show. You know what time it is. It's time to go out there and make your dream life a reality. And I'll see you next time. <laughs>